Hello, folks. Welcome into this episode of the Halftime Brewskis podcast. I'm your host, Ollie. James is on the other side of this internet connection, and it's a little bit unstable today, more so than usual. So there's every chance that one of the two of us will tune out. Speaking of tuning out, I'm going to say thank you for tuning in. As always, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Pod. Please like, subscribe, comment on the show, things you like, things you don't like anything and everything it always helps us stand out from the pack and that's what we need right now so we normally do a four quarter kind of approach because we love a good sports theme we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff today of course the Goff strafford trade we're going to talk about the raptors and please tune in on friday because we have a super bowl hype preview show that'll be dropping for the big weekend we're going to be talking about the best offense, defense, wing flavor, beer choice, how you should sit during the game, where you should sit, all of these things. And without any further ado, we're going to crack right on into it. And I say crack purposefully because that's the sound a baseball makes when it hits a bat at Coors Field. Someone who won't be cracking no balls at Coors Field anymore is Nolan Arenado. The... Well, I'm going to be presumptuous and assume and say the future Hall of Famer was traded on Friday. Uh, big, I know it was big. Future Hall of Famer was traded on Friday to the St. Louis Cardinals. So, James, here's the question to you. Who is the biggest winner out of this trade deal? Well, it was a big trade, and, and you're not going too out of your way when you say he's, he's on his way to becoming a future Hall of Famer. But the big winner has to be the Cardinals. I mean, there's no yeah. other way to look at this deal. I, I they gave up nothing really of substantial quantity yeah. uh, or quality. Uh, none of their top prospects, no top young players in their system, no even, really only one player off their major league roster, and they get the best third baseman in baseball, arguably the best third baseman. It's, it's either kind of him, Bregman, or Rendon. It's, so it's massive, massive win for the Cardinals who have been kind of wanting that big bat to kind of join Goldschmidt for a few years now. And he's kind of been everything they wanted and more. Still one of the best first baseman. Um, I think if you remind your mind back to a few years, they were one of the ones who really wanted Stanton out of Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were one of the ones who were willing to eat that massive contract or at least a big portion of it to bring him in. And of course, everyone knows that that didn't go the way they wanted it to. And he ended up going to New York. And But I think they were still kind of looking for that protection because as any baseball fan knows that if you have a great hitter but nothing around them pitchers can kind of pitch around them yeah so Nolan Arenado really gives them look there's no other way to put like he's a superstar he's probably the best defensive third baseman in baseball and arguably as I said earlier one of the best overall third baseman in baseball so massive winners and they're really the only winners in this deal. Like there's, there's no other way you can say anything about it is that the St. Louis Cardinals got an absolute home, home run of a deal. And they also got around about $50 million in cash too. So it's effectively covering costs depending on if Arno stays, if they get a new deal, because he has an opt-out and I think an additional year was put on that opt-out. Yeah, so apparently he's getting an additional year on his contract, and as yeah. well as he's getting an additional opt-out. So he can opt-out after this next coming season and then the season after. Yeah, so, so effectively, I mean, and the, he's like, 
the Cardinals are still coming out in the black because of the extra cash the Rockies are paying. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's looking like it could be you know 150 million dollars for Nolan Arenado for them. Yeah, I think he had a hundred. He had a little under 200 million left on his deal, and so if they're getting, it's not straight up 50 million dollars cash. Um, like the, a lot of it has to do with deferred money and stuff like that, but they're going to be getting a big subsidy from the Colorado Rockies to take on this deal. And yeah. So slam dunk for the St. Louis Cardinals. Slam dunk. Yeah. Now I think you got to feel the Rockies cannot help losing. Like they went from having an infield with a young Arenado, Troy Tulowitzki, LeMayhew. Like they had crackerjack players. And they have had those guys consistently. And yet, not as soon as he started playing, but it felt like when they didn't really build the team around him to actually compete, that was just the start of an inevitable departure for Arenado. I mean, this is this is so similar to the Tulo deal, right? Yeah. In the sense that Tulo was probably the best shortstop in baseball. And he just... And they had good players around him. I, I mean, like, Cargo, in all honesty, was one of the best outfielders in baseball as well. DJ LeMahieu was there at second, although he wasn't the like the star he was that he became playing for the New York Yankees. But they've always had a good team, and they've always had good pieces around that. But they've just never been able to find any consistency. They've never been able to find pitching that they needed. And so they always get to this stage where they have some good players. They don't find any sustained success, and then they have to sell off the pieces. They have yeah. new good up-and-coming players coming in, no sustained success. And, I mean, it's a tough division, but, I mean, you got to feel for those fans because, like, I mean, one of the big losers here, I kind of viewed as as Trevor Story. Like, I mean, he's there sitting on an island right now. Uh, he's probably yeah. not too unhappy because he's got a year left on his deal before he goes to the free agency, and he'll be uh, – He'll be a pretty rewarded. penny. Yeah, you'll yeah. you'll get a lot of money. So, but you got to think now that 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 makes sense that they're going to have to move him, and and they really do have to take a to take a look at how they build this team going forward because, I mean, if Brendan Rodgers, their top prospect, who's seemingly been a prospect for forever, I mean, he was drafted the same year as Bregman was, and I mean, look at what Bregman's been able to do in the majors, and Rodgers just hasn't had any consistent playing time in order to kind of have that opportunity. Yeah. So, I mean, he could turn around and be a superstar, but then you might be dealing with the same problem that they're dealing now and that they don't have a team to kind of put around him and they got to sell off assets. So if I was a Colorado Rockies fan, this is a tough day, or at least Friday was a tough night to kind of look at it because this, this has to be the inevitable end. And it's not like you're trading them for like top prospects. So you can really kind of get excited for it was kind of the, just anything to kind of get rid of that salary and as a fan that's the worst you want to see because it's not your money and you're just heartbroken at that point yeah well they were already among one of the worst teams in the national league they've now lost their best player so of course that question as you kind of brought up was why would trevor story want to stay for this like what point at what point does he want to stay but i do have a winner that comes out of colorado and that is going to be their beer sales because there is no way anyone is going to go to the Rockies and watch that game and want to do it sober. So there's no way that the beer sales don't skyrocket. And that is going to be a massive winner for Colorado, which I say only slightly facetiously. 
yeah. Believe, yeah. They, 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 uh, they're up in the clouds, so they'll literally, uh, yeah, so they'll be able to be okay. And if not, I guess they can turn to the Avalanche, which is a legitimately good team. Oh, Stanley Cup contender, right? As we, yeah. as we keep saying, as every, as everyone else keeps saying, but yeah, yeah, no, it, it was, it was a massive deal. Only one winner. A lot of losers coming out of this deal, so. So we'll see how it breaks down. But now we've baseball fans have kind of we've now seen two of the top fifteen players traded this off season. So it's it's made for some good drama. Yeah. Well, now on that point, how do you think this deal affects the other teams around them, division wise? Like, do you think it makes the Cardinals an instant content? Not a not a, a viable show horse of a contender for the world series but an but an instant much much higher ability to win that division speaking like the cardinals like that division is so winnable i mean that they were kind of the only one who kind of with this deal have kind of made a a commitment to try to win next year yeah you, you have the cubs who are kind of standing pat you have cincinnati who's standing pat or they're even looking to get rid of some of their guys then you have Milwaukee and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is going to be in a deep re- rebuild, and Milwaukee's kind of okay. So that was a very winnable division. So I think that also fueled the ability for St. Louis to kind of justify this to their ownership, being like, this is literally Nolan Arenado himself can win that division now for them. And yeah. that is the move that gets them over the hump. In terms of World Series contender, look, I'm not going to say a team that has Goldschmidt Nolan Arenado and Jack Flaherty and guys like that aren't or don't have the ability to kind of make it to the World Series but I mean the NL is going to be a bloodbath and you kind of have the NL East which is going to be specifically about bloodbath where you have four really good teams but then I mean whoever comes out of the NL West is probably going to be the favorite whether it's going to be the Dodgers or the Padres because I mean those teams have the superstars that St. Louis has and they have the production, but they also just have rotations with five aces in them each. I mean, that's something that St. Louis doesn't have at this point. They don't have the offensive depth or the pitching staff depth to kind of compete with some of the real upper tier teams of the NL. Um, now the playoffs are a different beast, but so I'll, I'll, I'll halt my kind of saying that St. Louis Cardinals are a world series contender, but I think they are, a divisional favorite, if I can yeah. say that. Well, I, it's true. The the NL Central is such a dumpster fire. I mean, it really, like, I think I saw today that they were the only team that's still projected to get over 500. So, like, out of that. So, that's easy pickings for them. I agree that uh, I think it's not a slam dunk, even though their chances are obviously much better. I just think that the... American League is at a different class altogether. Like, I perennially, the Yankees always compete. Like, the Jays are always a bit up in the air. Depends if Bauer comes to Toronto and that, you know, he plays in behind Ryu or, well, I mean, wherever Bauer ends up. It's hard. And then, obviously, as we talked about ages ago with the World Series, the Rays are always good and they always know how to put out a good team. But I just don't think that the American League teams have what it takes to win a world series this year i think it's going to go to the national league team yeah yeah i think there's just 
when it comes to the NL East, you got the Braves, you got the Mets, you got the Phillies, you got, you know, Washington, and you got the NL West and you got the Dodgers and the, and the Padres. Those teams yeah. are just, I would, well, I'd say the Padres and the Dodgers, and I would say the Braves are probably in that next tier, but I mean, the Mets and the Nationals are kind of in that next tier below. But I think like the Yankees are holding their breath when it comes to their starting rotation. Uh, they can out hit anyone, but I, I I wouldn't hold my breath on Jamison Talion or, or or Corey Kluber, you know, pitching a full season healthy. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure there, and I'm I, I'm a little uninspired about the AL West um, and about a team coming out of there. So that's you know the Angels in Houston and Oakland have uh, have kind of been the better teams in that division for the last few years, and I don't really see a World Series contender in there. And then it's a lot to expect the White Sox to to make the big jump, but I think they will. Uh, be competing with the twins but again I can list all those teams and I can find faults with all of them so I'll agree with your original sentiment that I think just the NL has better teams and and I know I, like it's so easy to look at look at the Dodgers and the and the Padres and the Braves and but those teams are I think just in in, in, in a step above everyone else at this point yeah well it brings us to a fantastic poll that I put out on Twitter um, which you should, as I said at the start, you should follow us at HT Brewski's pod, which basically asked who is the best value for money out of George Springer, Jock Person, Nolan Arenado, or someone else. I left it as other. If you can believe it, 93% of people voted for Arenado as the best value for money. And that's not even, I, I'm assuming that's not even people considering the extra cash thrown in. So it's pretty clear that everyone else agrees that what the eight time eight time gold glove yeah eight times pretty much every year every so. year and he's been an all-star like 2015 to 2019 he's gonna be the best value for money no matter how much you're paying him but speaking for value for money the nfl didn't want to get outdone by the mlb and we saw a trade that i think is probably going to kick off a massive wave of new trades and new moves. And that is, of course, Jared Goff, Matt Stafford trade between the Rams and the Lions. I have a very clear winner of, well, at least my first, I've got a couple of different guys written down, but my first winner is Matt Stafford. And I think he should be at, like, feel absolutely relieved because not only did it move quickly for him that he said, it was only what last week or so that it was public, even though it's been growing, it's been public that he wanted to move out of Detroit and the Lions moved quickly. So he gets a one-way ticket out of a franchise that wasn't going anywhere. You know, they haven't won a playoff game since 92. They haven't really been able to build a team around him. And he's going into a team in LA that has Sean McVay, who's led the team to the playoffs three out of his four seasons and he also doesn't have that scoring burden. Like, as I said, when Detroit couldn't build a team around him, they couldn't build a team around him. Whereas LA have a really good top, well, I think they finished 2020 with the top scoring defense and they've just got a really good running game. So Stafford doesn't need to put the team on his back every single game. And for a guy who's injured a lot, that's a massive help for him. Obviously the winner, yeah, Matt Stafford getting out of Detroit, I think. Yeah. Detroit although they've sometimes gone into the season with a little bit of optimism and their fans have, I mean, that's just a perennial 
just misrun franchise. Yeah. Um, and, and they're so, in a rebuild now because they fired uh, What's-His-Face and What's-His-Face. Patricia or whatever his name is. Yeah, Brad, Matt, Matt Patricia, I think. Something like that. Yeah, he um, was Yeah, he, he was miscast as being the head coach. But, I mean, to be fair, they're going into a rebuild. This is a team that's been in a rebuild since since Matt Stafford was drafted in 2009. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I think he's happy to get out of there. I think he's got to be excited to go to L.A. Just, you know, because I think L.A. would be a nicer place to live than Detroit. But, you know, I've never lived in either city, so I don't really know. Yeah. But he's going to a team that's going to be competitive. And I think Sean McVay is a, is a coach that I think a lot of QBs would, would really want to work for. Absolutely. Because he's innovative. You know, he's one of the young, bright, really forward-thinking coaches. And I mean, if he was, because I've been one of the ones who's been really critical of Jared Goff. I didn't really understand anyone who kind of viewed him very highly. And even when they went to the Super Bowl, I think people were miscasting him as being a lot better than what he actually was. Yeah. Um, So when he came crashing, I think when he came crashing back down to earth, people started to view it as, wow, this Jared Goff guy he's not a bad quarterback. Like he's, like he's especially with, with in, in a league that's going to see so much turnover this summer or this off season, when it, when it comes to the quarterback position, I think Jared Goff is a suitable quarterback on a Rams team. That's going to want to consistently put forth a Super Bowl contender. Mm-hmm. Like take a look at the final four this year. Like you need a quarterback who makes a difference. You can't yeah. just have a guy who's good but doesn't make big plays. Like you need a difference maker at that quarterback position. So although Matt Stafford is sometimes uninspiring, I think he has the ability to put a lot better plays together than, than what Jared Goff can. So from that point of view, if I was Matt Stafford, I'd be really excited. And Jared Goff, I mean, you're going to a team that's going to have a bunch of first round picks. So maybe, you know, this is a team that you can really work with the head coach and, and build up a team from there. So, yeah, I mean, I've, so I have Goff down as like a half loser. Cause he's going to a team, like he's going from a legitimately good playoff guy and a playoff team to a team that's obviously in a rebuild, but that go, that coincides, I should say that coincides with my winner, which is the Detroit lions, which is that they dealt an aging and, often injured Matt Stafford for a young guy who's still got potential if it's unlocked the right way, but also there's two first round draft picks and a third round pick. So they have the ability, like the Detroit Lions are in such a good place right now because they got the same, apparently this, well, as we mentioned, we have no idea how the NFL cap really works, but apparently they're saving 23.9 million in cap space by getting Goff instead of Stafford but the biggest part of those picks that if they want to trade up and package those picks in to get a quarterback in the draft this year or in the next years, they can do that. If they want to use those picks somewhere else, they can do that too. So it gives them that flexibility that they wouldn't otherwise have. But I think out of all of the teams, the biggest winner out of everyone, a true winner, winner chicken dinner are the Houston Texans. And that's because of, how like if this is how much Matt Stafford costs, which is the two firsts, Jared Goff and the third, and some cap space relief kind of stuff. Imagine what Deshaun Watson will go for. Like, 
a you 25 know, year old franchise quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Like Stafford is 32 and you know, arguably on the decline and has an injury history. Watson doesn't have any of those. He's far more dynamic. He's on the rise. As you said, he's 25. I mean, the Houston Texans must be at the prospect of him leaving and possibly JJ Watt leaving. That's destroying and would destroy any team. But if they trade those two guys, you know that they are going to get a whole host of everything and anything back for them. Less so for JJ Watt. I think JJ Watt will be moved for, for, for less than I think what people think. But the one thing I would say about the Deshaun Watson deal is like, if you're the Houston Texans, how do you even build a trade? Like it's, it's so unprecedented. We've never seen it before that five-year-old franchise quarterback who's proven in this league to be traded. Like, I don't yeah. even know where you start building that. Tra- like, I guess you just be like, okay, whatever, whatever Matt Stafford got, give us that and double. Like, yeah. Well, I think it just, it just doesn't of, happen. They kind of have to look at it like the Eric Lindros deal. Like it's the only, like that was an unprecedented deal. They had no idea what to do and how to get Eric Lindros dealt. And so they would, you just like throw, throw players at them. And I mean, and they got like, like half of Philly's roster. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the Texans are in a whole heap of trouble anyway, because losing Watson is bad for any team, obviously, but they've made a lot of questionable moves already. And if they possibly lose JJ Watt, who is like the heart and soul of that team and that community, it's going to be a nightmare for them. But it brings us to the next poll question, which I haven't put out yet, but I will put out, which is who do you think is the most likely to be traded next in the NFL? Sam Donald, JJ Watt, Carson Wentz, Odell Beckham Jr. or Deshaun Watson. And I will say that I stole this from um, Bleach Report. So I this didn't come up with this one by myself. But who do you think it is? To be honest, I think all of them might get traded. But the first one to get traded... I, probably a JJ Watt deal or a Sam Darnold is is probably uh, is probably more likely to happen first. Um, the Sam Darnold deal is going to be interesting because that's all just going to be built around the draft. Yeah, I mean that's just going to be tied into whether they are going to move on. I guess to be fair, hypothetically, that like Sam Darnold could be traded for Deshaun Watson, like that could be a deal that happens if if the Jets are willing to move that you know the second overall pick and, and other prospects and, uh, and and picks to Houston. Yeah. So I guess that could be kind of a two first. So, but again, like the Carson Wentz deal. Now that they've had, now that they have a new head coach, I'm not sure what happens there. I could easily see them running it back with Carson Wentz next year. I think so too. Another, and giving him another year because moving him is not easy in that contract. No. Um, but I do think whether regardless Wentz moves this offseason that you're going to probably have 10, 15 quarterbacks moved around this summer or the, yeah. this offseason when it's based on the draft and, and you probably have, you know, three, four starters coming out of the first round. So there's going to be a lot of movement. And so I, I that's why I assume Sam Darnold will probably be the first one moved because I, I think the Jets will move off of him. So, and that, and that also feeds the kind of, the kind of the game plan that the Houston Texans really need to have a, have a sit down meeting. I'm sure they've had it, but you know, obviously one that actually sticks. And if they move to Sean Watson, which, I think at this point they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like 
I get that you don't want to. I get that he's a 25-year-old superstar quarterback, and you just you don't trade those. But, I mean, he won't play for you. And so that's, that's the worst thing you want as a franchise is, is a superstar who doesn't want to be there and isn't happy. Yeah. But I think you have to move him, and I think you will get just a boatload of picks and, 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 and guys, as you said earlier. But you need to have a serious game plan about how you're going to fill his spot because I don't think it needs to be done next year. I think you could probably take a flyer on a Sam Darnold or or even just take a boatload of first-rounders back. But you need to have a plan for replacing that, whether it's in this year's draft and it's a Justin Fields or, you know, or, or you know any one of those guys or a Trey Lance or someone like that or if it's if it's positioning yourself because like you want the first you want the first overall pick next year then and yeah and you need to start thinking about that now because you need to start planning for that now because yeah. there are quality quarterbacks available next year like Sam Howell out, out of North Carolina and guys like that but you need to start thinking about that now because if you trade a franchise player you better have a backup plan or at least a thought in your mind about how you're going to replace him yeah well i think it's so interesting because there are so many times where people talk about these big blockbuster deals these big trades and you think oh you know look at how much i could get for deshaun watson but the people that are actually in danger of really messing this up are the texans because if they don't pull the right moves or they don't judge it the right way or they don't get the right value out of watson they not only lose their qb and a guy they would build around in theory they lose the chance to replace him they lose the chance to cover for him and set up a plan so if if they're not careful they could turn out to be the biggest losers out of this whole entire sequence that could them for the next 10 years if they if, if they do this wrong yeah exactly that being said i think uh odell beckham jr is going to be the guy who's traded first because i just think the other guys on that team on that list that i gave it's there's a lot of moving parts around for all of the teams involved be it the jets the texans you know it's like it, it's difficult to get everything lined up so soon whereas the browns you know got to the playoffs this year the whole world almost burned because they did and we saw that they know what they need and they've understood how to get the best out of Baker Mayfield and the rest of their team. And I think now they know that they're able to say, Oh yeah, Odell is going to go for this and that'll be done quickly. But on that note, we're going to move straight on to the Raptors because the NBA is a weird scenario this year. Like there's, it's, it's unbelievable what's happening. And I think there aren't many more interesting stories in the NBA right now than one of the best teams of the last five years in the Toronto Raptors dramatically falling off the way they have, whether that's because they're physically displaced by playing in Tampa, uh, whether you think it's mentally that they're mentally displaced by not playing at home and seeing two major pieces of their winning team in Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka leave it's it's a massive question because an offense has pretty much stayed in the same position as it has but they used to have one of the best defenses in the league and now it's capitulating with ease almost every game they haven't been anywhere near they should so they're now eight and 12 which is not what we expected 
what do you think it takes first off we'll just say what do you think it takes for the raptors to bounce back this year anything resembling consistency on the defensive end i mean yeah. that's just been their biggest problem is that they've just been inconsistent and i know that's like a duh but, <laughs> but it, it's 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 i guess so much more surprising because the raptors for anything out of all the nba teams in the past five years have been consistent Mm-hmm. So when they are inconsistent, it's just so much more evident that it, you know, it's happening. So, yeah, I'm not, not really sure what's wrong with them. Uh, they just don't, it, it, it just seems like they're, I don't want to say uninterested, but it's, there's something wrong there. And I'm not sure what it is. I think as a team and as an organization, you can just tell that they were, they were planning on the Giannis kind of sweepstakes, right? And, yeah, and you absolutely. just know that's what they were doing. And that's why they let Serge walk, and that's why they let Marcus all walk. I was on the record for saying that I thought letting Ibaka go was a massive mistake because I thought even though he got $20 million in, you know, in LA, I would have given him $20 million on a one-year deal just to keep your options open for the, you know, if Giannis would be, you know, be a free agent that year or anything. But I think Serge was just so important to that dressing room and he and he brought such a team toughness and you know his defensive versatility and, and the ability to switch off I think that's that's what they're missing so yeah I think yeah. Serge Ibaka was such such a massive loss both on the floor and, and in the dressing room and so I think it's just one of those years that Toronto's going to need to kind of step back as they still might make the playoffs as a seven, eight seed, but I think they're just going to need to take next summer and kind of rethink it and retool it a bit because you know, yeah. whether, whether Kyle Lowry comes back, that will be uh, a decision for him to make, whether he wants to go, you know, do something else or if he wants to retire or I don't think he'll retire, but you know, what, whatever he wants to do, I kind of, the Raptors kind of have owe it to him a bit to kind of facilitate that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think there's, a lot of merit to what you're saying especially with Serge and letting him go and like a lot of merits to the notion of the team dressing room and the chemistry and what he did as a teammate and that is a that is a massive part of it especially in a weird condensed season that means you're playing in Tampa rather than your home court so that's already you know they're, they're playing 72 road games effectively because they're not at home but even beyond that like from a statistical point of view like they're giving up way too many fouls like it's just it's unbelievable they their offense is ranked they're only one point they're only scoring one point fewer per hundred possessions this year than they were in 2019-20 so their offense is round about the same place but they are just not defending like their defensive rating in 2019-20 was 104 Point seven points a game which was second in the nba this year so far it's 109.5 which is good for 15th and that means that their net rating went from fourth in the league to 14th like those are massive drop-offs and part of it is that they're sending too many teams to the easier shot in basketball which is the free throw but part of it is that i think nick nurse just doesn't quite trust the team like 
I know they won against the Magic a couple of days ago, but against the Sacramento Kings, which is easily one of the worst teams in the league, the Raps started, it was the sixth consecutive game with a different starting lineup. And then in that game, they played 11 of the 12 players available that they had. And I don't know, if James, if you think that's like an indicator of a lack of depth or not a lack of depth, a, a lack of starting players who Nick Nurse trusts, whether it's just a Nick Nurse style to mix it up and try and find something that works or whether you want to say, oh, let's be optimistic. Nick Nurse is just trying to get everybody into the game to find something. Well, if we know anything about Nick Nurse in the past years, and especially when the when the Raptors were very successful, like he he didn't really rotate his guys a lot. Like I mean, he trusted his starting yeah. rotation, and he had a few guys off the bench. And besides that, no one else knew who was on the bench because they never saw the floor. Yeah. So the fact that he's using so much more of his options now, I think, speaks to the fact that he kind of sees this inconsistency. And so I think he's trying to tinker with it a lot. Um, because I think he's just trying to find that that drive and that hunger and that hopefully winning formula mm-hmm. that can kind of maybe things can come together. Because, I mean, Stanley Johnson played like no games last year for the Raptors. And now he's, you know, playing a lot more. And I like Stanley Johnson. But it's yeah. the fact that like we're seeing players that we've never seen before play for the Raps. In this, and I think it is in a in, in a bind to find some form that works because when you look at it, like they're net, like they are better than what they've been playing. Yes. So like even as their net rating is, would you say fourteenth? Yeah, it's 14th now in the league is better than what their record is. So absolutely, like at a certain point, it should course correct. You would think. So they're not as bad as their record suggests, but I think the inconsistency to bring it all back has kind of plagued them and the fact that they're they haven't really been able to get a consistent like a successive run of games where they kind of put it together because they did they were starting to get that after the yeah. terrible start and yeah they lost you know six or seven games in a row and they kind of went on a little run where it's like oh, okay these are the raptors that we all know and love and they started to play a little bit better but then as you said they kind of they, they kind of lost to the Kings and, and, and it kind of all kind of came back down. So yeah, it's almost a bit fragile at this point. And I think the fact that they think they're fragile, I think is, is causing a little bit of problems, but you know, I, I don't think the East is deep enough to really be a problem going forward. So I, I still think playoffs are a very strong possibility. And I mean, if they miss the playoffs, I think that would be a, a major wake-up call to the front office and kind of the, and the team as a general is to kind of be, wow, we dropped off a lot. Yeah. Um, but. Well, there's, there's something really interesting and I can't remember where I saw it or who I saw it on, but I saw that the Raptors, if they continue the way they are, might, I don't know if it's the first team or the first team in about, I think maybe 29 years or something, but they might be one of the first teams to finish below 500 and still have a positive net rating because it and and like in many ways that shows that they're not as bad as what the stats say because the games they're losing they're losing by one or two points and the games they're winning they're winning by 10 or 15 is effectively what that means but it's just so difficult because again like as the king's game as an example they played like trash for three 
period, three periods, but like trash for three quarters. And in the fourth quarter, then their defense started playing and they were down by 13 going in. And then they started scoring and ended up, I mean, they lost 21, 26, 124 because of a Kyle Lowry, uh, technical and and that was the go-ahead points but you know the point being is that they're so much better than they are at least showing statistically it's an it's a nightmare for them anyway that's just it's just a massive issue um which i guess brings on to brings on the question of should Masai just blow the team up and should he think, you know, we, we were going in for Giannis, we didn't get him, we let Serge go, we let Gasol go, this is kind of, the championship window is is dead and gone, we've got Siakam under contract, we've got Van Fleet under contract, does that mean we keep it going and try and blow it all up and just keep those two pieces, or does it mean that maybe we start it all over again, because we know that Siakam is only getting better. And we know that Fred Van Vliet is one of the most reliable shooters and point guards in the league, and everybody wanted him as a free agent. Does Masai risk it and throw it all away, or does he keep going? Because, you know, I would vote for a trade, like the most tradable person that I think the Raptors have is Norman Powell. And that's mostly because Norman Powell is the kind of guy that will fit onto any team because like Powell just you know what you're going to get from him but you don't really know what you're going to get from him in that weird way I don't know if you think that Norman Powell is a good tradable prospect or if he's a guy that you wouldn't think would get anything what do you think yeah I think Norman Powell would be kind of on that list of guys who you don't really view as being a core core piece or 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 a piece that you need to kind of keep for the kind of the next regime or anything like that I think you view him as a kind of guy who a lot of playoff teams or teams that look to be kind of in the championship mode can kind of look to as being some scorer off the bench or even, even a starter in some points. So I think when you kind of look, when you kind of have to weigh the kind of decisions on a full rebuild, I, don't, I think that's a little too premature. And I, yeah. and I think even like the starting lineup shows you that, but I think there are definitely some pieces that you can kind of look at and kind of, trim some fat as they say and kind of revitalize the team because you know I, I, you know you're not going to go trade you know pascal siakam or or, no. or fred van vliet or an oj no. and an obi after pretty much the ink is still fresh on their fucking uh deals right so yeah um so you'd want to keep them definitely in the mix going forward but it's kind of as you said kind of those norman powell guys like that who you can kind of look to is as being options to move. Yeah. And I think as I kind of have alluded to a few times, Kyle Lowry, you kind of have to take a bit differently. You kind of have to take it as what does he want to do going forward? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the rebuild bit too strong of a word retool is definitely what they want to go to, but they also set themselves up to do that perfectly because they set themselves up to have a max spot for Giannis. So yeah. They've kept their salary cap and their sheet very clean coming for the next few years. So that gives yeah. them a lot of flexibility. They still have all their picks that they can kind of maybe send some of the, you know, pieces away, keep their core together and just kind of just try to find some new pieces to kind of bring in and complement their team to kind of, uh, to kind of put another winning formula together. 
Yeah, absolutely. I and I especially agree with the the Lowry stuff because he was on. I wrote down, you know, outside of who is untouchable. I you know I think really if you really want to just pick a name, you'd stick with Pascal Siakam because that type of possible. I mean, he hasn't shown it so far this year, but that type of player isn't easy to come by in the league and costs you a hell of a lot when you try and trade for him. But the other name I had on an untouchable list was Kyle Lowry. And that, I know I say that despite having Fred Van Vliet and uh, OG, who I wouldn't want to move anyway. But I think the psychological blow that trading Kyle Lowry would do to the franchise, to the fans, to Lowry himself would be more than anything else. Like he is the greatest rapper of all time. There is no other way about it. And to move him would be a move I don't think I could see Masai doing or Bob Webster doing because they're too smart uh, a combo to make a Kyle Lowry deal. Yeah, no, and I think in all honesty, if Kyle Lowry, the only way Kyle Lowry want, gets traded is if he wants to get traded. Yeah. Like if he goes yeah. there and be like, can you send me to the Clippers for another chance to win a championship? Like who are the Raptors to stay stand in the way of, of making that happen, right? Especially when they can let him go do a little playoff run, maybe get a first round pick and a prospect back. And it's just, it's more pieces that they can kind of work towards getting a rebuild. Right. So yeah, I think the Raptors owe Lowry the ability for him to kind of choose his own future. Yes. So from that sense, he's untradeable in the sense that if he doesn't want to go anywhere, there's no way you trade him. Um, So uh, yeah, from that perspective, that would be kind of the way you kind of view it. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of this a bit truncated podcast. Now, you still obviously have time for the last minute of play. And I have to add that the first time we did this last week, we kind of didn't stick to the rules. And we are nothing if not taskmasters on this podcast. So I'm actually going to get my stopwatch out and I'm act- we're actually going to abide by the stopwatch of a minute not like the last time where i talked for a minute and then we kept talking so james this is to you this is your last minute of play and i will get the timer in three two one and you're on wow pressure's on i had no time to prepare for this everyone but i guess we can kind of look at it quick fantasy wise uh, I'll quickly touch on that before I get to something else. Uh, Dominic Cahoon is starting to heat up, everyone. I told everyone he's starting to heat up. Two goals in the past three games. Keep an eye on Dominic Cahoon. Even though he only had one point, even though the Oilers scored eight goals, he was only able to get one of them. Come on, he, he's going to do better. And Brandon Sod's starting to find to get hot. So that's another that's another key thing for that. But I think everyone should definitely be following us on Twitter because Ollie, without telling me, has now started to publish old text messages between him and I that may or may not be pretty funny, but I thought definitely the first one caught me off guard. So uh, if you want to definitely follow our Twitter account, you'll definitely see kind of more of the interworkings of what we texted about. And I think it's pretty funny. So that will be the final minute of play. Wow. See, that was an actual final minute of play. One oh one twenty four, but that's because my fat finger kind of slipped and didn't hit stop at the right time. There you have it, folks. 
as James said, please follow us on Twitter. Please, we have Instagram too. Uh, follow us there. Like, subscribe, comment, do it all. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week.